Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. We went through a series called If Christ is My Lord. The whole premise is it's kind of something I've been struggling with, something I've been really thinking is, would people be able to tell that I really follow Jesus Christ just because they see the dedication how my following of Jesus has bled into every corner of my life? I felt compelled and convicted that there are so many people that I'm friends with that maybe don't follow Jesus at all, but I look exactly the same as them. I do everything exactly the same as them. And so we've been looking at all sorts of different areas in which if Christ is truly my Lord, he needs to be Lord over this also. And today, what I'm going to be talking about, if Christ is Lord, he is also Lord of my work. Okay? So I want you to go back in time. Um, unless you are younger than 18, I want you to go back in time to when you were considering what you might want to do for your work. Now, for some of you, it might be you were 10 years old when you were thinking about, you know, what do I want to do for my work, for my job? You might have been thinking, you know, whether you were coming right out of school or whether you were graduating from a university or maybe you were someone that just knew your whole life, I'm going to go into the family business. This is what our family does, so... From birth, you knew, this is what my job will be, this is the work I'll do. There is this video that a friend sent me a while ago, and I thought of it uh, as I was preparing for this sermon of this very funny, young, Asian-American comedian, his name is Jimmy Yang, and he tells this story in his stand-up about how he, he went to college and he got an economics degree because it was the easiest degree that would appease his parents. But uh, after he graduated from college, he was like, I don't really want to do economics or finance. I I want to be a stand-up comedian. So he goes to tell his father, he says, I want to do this, I want to do stand-up, I want to pursue my dream. And his father, I'm not going to pretend to do an accent, but his father says, no, pursuing your dreams is how you become homeless. And he said, he said no, Dad, this is America. It's a good thing to chase your dreams here. You, people, you know, they do what they love to do. And he said, no, everyone does what they hate for money and use the money so they can do what they love. And I think the story is pretty funny because your parents may not have said that exact same thing to you, but I'm pretty sure if Marshall someday says to me, hey, Dad, I want to be a stand-up comedian, my first reaction is like, oh, man, I love This is going to be, what do I say to him? Um, although the story is funny, it does shed light, in my opinion, on a lot of things, a lot of factors that go into when you or I are choosing, what do I want to do for my job? For some of you of a certain generation, what you enjoy has almost nothing to do with choosing your job. There was zero part of you that thought any part of work or job was going to be connected at all with pleasure or enjoyment. It was, we got to put food on the table. we got to pay the electric bill. We aren't going to make it. it, especially if you are children of parents who lived through the Great Depression. It was, listen, work is to live, to stay alive. And there's, there's a good value in that, to clock in and clock out and do your job. Many young people today, to the disdain of not young people in the audience, want to have the young people that say, I'm going to have a job that I enjoy. And, and for people that can't even imagine that, they're like, listen, that's not what a job is about. Whether we realize it or not, most of the jobs that we have, um, you can say all you want, oh, I love this, I want to pursue this. Most of you in here probably got the jobs that you had because you knew somebody. Who knew somebody? I want you to just think for a second. You know, how, how many of you... Well, 
I know so-and-so, they said they had an opening at this place, and so I went and worked, and then after a couple of years, a friend of mine said, hey, I'm starting this up, and so I went with them there. You just, you knew those people, and you, that's how you ended up, I, I didn't pursue this as a dream, I just, this one job led to another. This person I knew led to this thing. Um, the story, in the story, uh, I told earlier, is also a good reminder that some children, some of us, grow up with an expectation of what type of career they have to have to fit into the family. You better have a certain type of career if you want to fit in here and be worthy. You better be a doctor. You better be a lawyer. You better be an accountant. Or I, I don't even know what the whole list. Fancy jobs. You know, uh, respectable jobs. There are other kids, sadly, that grow up in families where they almost assume from birth that they don't deserve to even consider those jobs. It has always broken my heart, broken my heart when I interact with a teen, whether it was in youth ministry or even, even today, where I interact with a teen and I ask them, what do you want to do maybe when you grow up? And they say a few things and then they get to that job that's kind of a big job and they say almost embarrassed, like maybe a physical therapist? And you can almost tell that they're like, don't make fun of me for thinking I might actually be able to do that. And it hurts you because you can tell that there's this great, great quote by an author, uh, his name is, I'm trying to remember, Chopsky, I think is his last name, but he says, we choose the love that we think we deserve when we're trying to decide who to marry, we choose based on whether we think we deserve that person or not. And I think we do the same thing with jobs. When you're growing up, if you grow up in a family with parents that from a young age have said, I think you're amazing, or you better be amazing, then you think you deserve a big job. You know, there's, there's things like that that happen, all sorts of components. For some reason, the only reason uh, some people choose jobs is because of status. Some people, I still remember being in eighth grade in computer class and you had to make a presentation on what job you thought you might want to have someday. You had to do it on PowerPoint. And pretty much every kid in the class literally just Googled jobs that make the most money right now. And then that was their list. Some people were it's income or because they're passionate about something. My younger cousin, when we were growing up, he had a new career plan pretty much every time I saw him at Thanksgiving. He was going to be a dirt bike rider, he was going to be a baseball player, a golfer, and then a rodeo. And now he doesn't have But every year it was a new thing that he was, oh, I'm going to do this. Now, by the way, all those things I listed were from like fifth grade through like high school. Uh, but why do we choose the jobs we have? Why do we choose our career? And also, many of us have a lot of jobs that we don't ever receive a paycheck for. Mothers and fathers have jobs, but they're not getting paid. Children with aging parents have jobs, but you're not getting paid. A lot of people in this church work hard at many different things that you will never receive a paycheck for. So this sermon, I want you to hear me say, originally this was going to be Lord of my career, and I decided that doesn't count. Because career is something we think specifically, or job specifically about, I go, I do this job, I come back. Work happens in all of our life, in all sorts of facets. So if Christ is Lord of my life, he needs to be Lord of our work what we do, why we do it, how we do it. Because most of us, what we do for our jobs or for things we don't get paid for will dominate a majority of our time here on this earth. I want you to think about how much time you spend with work. It's pretty much all the time. So if he's not Lord of your work, you're in trouble. Because that's a majority of your time. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three questions. Why do we work? How do we work? And is my life better if Christ is the Lord of my work? Okay, so first and foremost, and I'm kind of going to go somewhere you probably aren't expecting, but those are my favorite kind of sermons because usually someone goes, oh, I never even thought about that. So we'll see if that happens here. Why do we work? We're going to start on page one of the Bible, 
Genesis 1, 27 through 28, if you want to go there. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, so the very first words God ever spoke to humanity, the very first thing he ever said was his commission for them of what they were to do. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. By the way, that's not just about having children. It is about having children, but it's not just about having children. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So a word that you may be familiar with that I'm not even sure how people define it these days, but I've always heard that people talk about, it kind of comes from the Bible, this word vocation. This thing that you have, this calling, this mission and purpose of what you feel like, this is what I was born to do. It's much deeper than this is my job or my career. And the very first vocation that was given to all of God's people, I do believe each one of us has a unique calling. Each one of us has unique things God wants us to do. Paul is very clear. We're not all the same, and that's a beautiful thing about us as the church. But one thing we all share, in my opinion, men and women created in the image of God, is to share in this central location and calling. To be fruitful, to rule and subdue, and not, not in a harsh way, not in a, a, this cruel way, but in, as we'll see, in a good way. And to bring order from chaos. Now you're probably thinking, wait, where are you getting bringing order from chaos? I'm going to back up just a little bit to Genesis 1, 1 through 2. This is something that you can debate with me about. That's fine. I, it's something that um, you probably haven't heard much, but I think it's clear and it's here. In Genesis 1 through 2, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So whenever the ancient writer is describing creation, and remember, someday I'm going to be brave enough, I think maybe when I've been working here for seven years, I'll be brave enough to do a Genesis series, okay? But the sad thing about Genesis is it's hard to preach Genesis because everyone thinks it's about how and when. And Genesis is not about how and when. It is about why and who. Never need help with Genesis. Genesis is not about how and when, which is what we all get all torn up about. It's about who and why. And here, the very opening line, we get this interesting thing where we as people who are uh, in 2023 in the West, we have a concept, a little bit, of the idea of God creating something out of nothing. But the ancient writers of Genesis did not have that concept. They cannot conceive an idea of God creating something from nothing. But what we see here is they see God creating order out of chaos. Yes, it does say the earth was formless and empty. There's nothing there. But it also says before God did anything that there was darkness over the surface of the deep. So that was there at creation. What is that? For them, and by the way, like I said, someday I'll get into Genesis, these are the raw, chaotic, primordial waters that were there in the beginning. And if you read a lot of other ancient creation accounts, this stuff is just the untamed craziness. And God's Spirit was hovering over, wait, what was it over? It, wasn't, it doesn't say God's Spirit hovered over nothing. It says it hovered over the waters, these deep waters. Like I said, come to my class and we'll talk more about this, but... What you need to see here is that part of what God did is 
less, yes, he did create. He did. I fully believe that. But the ancient Near Eastern people, they are more focused on how God brought order out of chaos. Okay? He brought peace. And what's a good example of that? He separated the waters above to make the sky, the waters and the waters below to make the sea. He brought order. He brought order to day and night, land and sea, animals. See, you see what I mean? He's bringing order to this chaos. So that is why I'm going to include it in what we're talking about today. And if you are made in the image of God, which I believe we all are, part of our image bearer is, yes, we are creators, but also we are order bringers to chaos. So in Genesis 2, in the second account of creation that we get, we also have this line. The Lord God took man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So before there was any brokenness in the world, God's people were working. God's person and then other states people were working. So if your concept of work is that, oh, this is not good, that's bad because guess what? Over and over in creation, God says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good before there was a fall. And part of that good creation was work. Okay? So with that in mind, the next question is, how do we work? Why do we work? Because it is part of our God-given original ordained vocation to work for his purposes in creation. Now the question is, how do we work? And I've already kind of told you. The way that we work is we bear fruit, we rule and subdue, and we bring order from chaos. Appropriately, one of the best examples of all of these concepts put together is the idea of a gardener or a farmer, which thankfully is something y'all are all probably pretty familiar with. Thankfully, both my parents and my in-laws are incredible gardeners, and I give them credit. And what they do is they go into the chaos and raw material of a place, and they bring order to it. They rule over the landscape, and not in a cruel way. The plants and vegetables do not fear my parents in a they're going to hurt me kind of way. But they are aware that their parent, my parents and my in-laws are the boss, and they're going to prune the garden for their benefit. And they're going to watch out for predators for their benefit. They will bring order to this creation so that it will bear fruit and bring the most good out of the raw material of that garden. Their ruling over the garden is the best thing that could possibly ever happen to those plants. Okay? That is what it looks like to bear fruit, to rule and subdue, and to make order in case. Now let me give you another example of this pattern. Whether you get paid for it or not, being a parent is a God-ordained vocation. You take the raw, chaotic material of a child. How many of you feel like a little child's got a lot of chaotic energy? A lot of raw potential. And what you are doing is trying to rule and subdue that child for its benefit so that it will grow to bear the most possible fruit for God's glory. You bring order to the chaos, by the way, as best we can. Anyone who's saying they're going, oh, I don't know if I've done that. Well, we're trying as best we can as our vocation to work to do that. Now let me take a profession. Teachers. How many teachers, similar to parents, take the chaos of a bunch of students in a room, the raw energy, and they rule it and subdue it. We have rules. This is how we're going to interact in this classroom so that they can grow and they can have potential and bear fruit in their lives. So that whenever they walk out of the classroom, they are better people than when they walked in. The raw chaos was more channeled for good and for fruit. Nod your heads if this is working for you, okay? That worked, that was a month. But, now let me pick something random, like an electrician, okay? 
And electrician, electricity is something that helps all of us bring order to our lives in so many ways. It takes, it takes the crazy temperature of super heat outside or super cold outside for like two months of the year, and yet we get to go to our homes and live between 68 to 75 degrees year-round. That's bringing order to craziness. And it helps us at hospitals. How many of you are really thankful that in the chaos of health and injury, you can feel somewhat like when you go to a hospital, there's order that helps you to feel like you're going to grow and be healthy, right? Right? Thankfully, we need electricians to help places to have electricity to do those kind of things. This morning, I was actually listening to a sermon about uh, a preacher was talking about Joseph. And I thought, Joseph is a great example of work. When Joseph went to Egypt after slavery, he was employed by Potiphar. And guess what? What happened to Potiphar's stuff? Joseph came in, saw what was going on, saw what needed to be done, he brought order, he ruled and subdued it, and guess what he became? He was given stewardship over all of Potiphar's stuff. And then, because of some of the enemy trying to attack Joseph, he, he ends up having to go from there. He's in jail. He gets out of jail. He's in front of Pharaoh. Oh, well, if he's working for Pharaoh, he must, it must be bad, right? Uh, you know, that's not good. No. Pharaoh gets, puts him in charge of his chaos of we're going to have seven years of good, seven years of bad, and Joseph puts order to it. He rules it. He subdues it. And guess what? If he hadn't, thousands, millions of people would have died of starvation he had not worked and brought order to that situation, right? Joseph was a great worker that God used for his creation, for his purposes. So I want you to maybe think through the ways that you, in your work, bring order, the ways that you rule, the ways that you bear fruit, hopefully. A friend of mine, he, she pointed a podcast out to me where I listened to it, and the preacher said, Jesus was a carpenter for the first 30 years of his life, working as a carpenter. Was he just wasting his time? Come on, Jesus, you know what you're supposed to be doing. Get after it. You're just wasting your time working as a carpenter. Or was it maybe that Jesus knew that all work as a carpenter, under the lordship of Jesus, under the lordship of, I guess he can't worship of himself, under the lordship of God, it's just as important to work and serve, to rule over the wood, the materials, the stone, to bring order, to bear fruit for people, to have a home, instead of sleeping outside. So this is the, the last part that I think is a key part to this. Because you might be listening and going, Drew, this is cool. Thanks for talking about Genesis. This is neat. Uh, all right. But is my life any better if I say that Christ is the Lord of my work? And here are the things that I want to point out. First, all of, all of our work is part of God's given vocation. Now, we'll say, you are someone who's working at a job that takes advantage of people and brings chaos into people's life. If you are a professional bank robber, that brings brokenness and pain instead of blessing, then no, this rule does not apply. But for all of us, whether you work a small job or a big job, it is all God's given vocation. Some of you maybe come from the, I don't know, uh, the time in history where it's like, man, you know, the ministers, they have real jobs, you know, because they're like doing something for Jesus all the time. I just, I'm someone that just puts carpet in a house. Nope, not anymore. The good news is if you really believe Christ is the Lord of your work, then whatever you do, it is equally important and significant in God's eyes. From being a stay-at-home mom or dad, or just they're just as important as being a surgeon or a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I mentioned this person before, but Brother Lawrence is a famous monk who wrote this book called The Presence of God. He was a monk in the 17th century in France. 
And one of the things he remembered is he gave his life to God. He gave up marriage. He gave up everything. Any chance of having money and became a monk. And he goes to this monastery and he's washing the dishes. And he's like, come on, God. I wanted to serve you. I wanted to do big things for God. And here I am washing the dishes. And it was in that place that he realized that he is able to glorify God, to serve God, just as much as a dishwasher as anything else. He has this great quote where he says, We ought to not we ought not be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of glory, but the love with which it is performed. So how is it possible for all of our work to have the same value? The second thing is, is we don't have to work for money anymore. We don't have to work for status anymore. We don't have to work for security anymore. We don't have to work to appease our parents anymore or to appease our neighbors like, honey, all the neighbors think I'm a sham because I just do this. I've got to get a real job. i got to do something that's cool looking. People go, wow, he's a blank. She's a blank. We work not for our status, but we work from our God-given ordination to in order to rule and to bear fruit. There's a temptation in our society that work gives us power, status, and control. And when work is no longer about you, but it is about God, it no longer has that power over you. But when you feel like you're doing it for God, you are set free because all of your work, all of it, is equally under God's provision. Work is no longer a means for us to prove ourselves, but it is an outworking of our worthiness as the image bearers of God. If I can work hard enough and make enough money, I will know that my life had meaning. And that is why a lot of people do a lot of jobs that they hate for a really long time. If I can work hard enough and make enough money, I will know my life had meaning and purpose. So I'm gonna keep waking up to this thing I hate, keep grinding, and by the way, some of you in here would go, amen, that sounds great. But you don't have to do that. You can go into your job and go, everything I'm going to do in this work, I'm going to try and rule it, bring fruit and order, think about how we can pour into the lives of people around me, and then you won't ever have to worry about that part anymore because you will know I am working because it is part of my vocation as an image bearer of God. The last thing. We work for God's reign. Images, whenever, back in the day, in the ancient Near East, back in, way long ago, it was common standard that if you built a temple, you would build the temple, and then at the very end, you would place the idol or the image of that God in the center of the temple. And the image in the center of the temple would be the mediator of that God's will to the area. And so God in creation, over the course of seven days, he created his temple. The Garden of Eden, his earth, his world, is his temple. And at the very end, he placed his images in the center of it to be the mediators of his will on earth as it is in heaven, to be his co-rulers. And we have a God who is king, and to be his image is to be his representative. And we have a God who is a creator and orderer, and to be his image is to create and to bring order. And when we work as images of Christ as our Lord, we are stewards and mediators, co-workers, co-rulers of his work and his will on earth so that his reign will come on earth as it is in heaven. This further reinforces the idea, the truth, that we don't worship God as our Lord in our spare time on Sunday mornings and then we go to work for 40, 60, 80 hours a week. But if Christ is our Lord, all of our work, whether we're paid for it or not, and all of our rest, all of our activity is worship and praising God. If Christ is my Lord, then I treat my career and work 
even some of the tedious tasks, especially the tedious tasks, as a holy initiative and calling to co-reign with Christ. And we, I believe, will be set free to transform something that is often a burden, often a pain, often just for status, just for notoriety, and we can turn it into something that can be a joy where we bear fruit, and we are blessed to be a blessing to the world. If any of you would like to know more about what we're doing, be your word. And if any of you have any prayer requests, I'll be standing at the doors when we stand and sing.